Welcome to the third episode of the Injury Report. I'm Joe Brenner, joining you here from Toledo, Ohio, and today is a beautiful Friday, April 29th, and we are finally getting out of the first round of the NBA playoffs. Now, that's not the only thing going on this weekend, as the NFL draft is also underway, and after a pretty exciting first round, I have a couple injuries that we can look forward to and talk about as we get into the rest of the weekend. To start with a little review of the NBA, the only remaining first round series at play is the Grizzlies and Timberwolves. The Suns, Mavericks, and 76ers all handled business in their game sixes last night to advance. So the only thing we're waiting on is the Grizzlies and Timberwolves. It'll go back to Memphis for Game 7, but they will be without center Steven Adams. He has entered the COVID protocol, which is, I guess, COVID's back. I think that, that is the yes, because we had someone right at the beginning of the playoffs who missed time for that. And other, he's the only one on that roster that is injured, and they've been playing small ball, so he will not be missed. Minnesota, they're clean. I kind of like Timberwolves push this in 7, and that would be really helpful for Golden State, because right now they're without Andre Iguodala, who I guess is still picking around the Warriors somewhere. But he has had a neck injury, uh, most likely a muscle strain with that levator scapulae muscle. Uh, it's important for lifting your arms over your head and turning your neck. So those are going to be important in basketball, a lot more used in typical day-to-day. There's a lot of other muscles in the neck that uh, could get tweaked. You know, if you don't warm up right, I know I've had that in basketball where you just turn your head too fast once, you can't do it the rest of the day. But he is, he will be reevaluated in one week. And the longer that week is, the longer this other series goes between Memphis and Minnesota, the longer he'll have to be back on the court for the, the Warriors. Though I'm doubtful they're scared to take on either one without him. Our other series in the West is going to be the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks. Both top seeds pulled out of their scary six-game series, and Devin Booker is back for the Phoenix Suns. That'll be helpful for them because they really looked like a different team last night, although Chris Paul did go 14 for 14 in that uh, Game 6 win. So they're going to be back with full force, and I thought maybe the Mavericks would catch uh, the Suns a little bit without Booker and give them a little bit of a chance to jump out to an early lead, but that can be the case. Luka is also back in rest since last time we talked, but between the two of them, I think it'll still be a series. Luka has been phenomenal since he's been back. Both of them kind of dealing with nagging injuries, Booker in his hamstring and Luka in his calf. So we can see that re-agitate, especially if one of them has a bad game, as that's how the NBA appears to be recently. That wraps up the Western Conference. There's not really a whole lot of injuries. It seems like everybody's kind of getting back into their health and uh, gearing up after the first round to really compete and uh, take their shot. Moving over to the Eastern Conference, uh, we start with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. Milwaukee, after having a 1-1 series against Chicago early, ended up absolutely destroying them the rest of the way. That was probably the most dominant non-sweep of the playoffs. Um, and then what we found out with Milton, though, is he will be out for the entire series. So I think he reported as a sprain. He had an MCL sprain. He has agreed to, though. So last time I said there was nothing to wonder. It is a little bit of pairing. So he uh, has been reported out at least until the end of the series with Boston. So this is potentially a legacy builder for Giannis. He's going to get to go up with Boston, Jalen Hurts, or not Jalen Hurts, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year. They have uh, a very solid team. And not the uh, Bucks down, they have Drew Holiday. I really like him. Bobby Portis, like I've been talking about, phenomenal player. Um, and George Hill is also might see some time off the court with an abstrain that we touched on at the end of the regular season. So that could just be some rest trying to get for him. But after the NFL draft concludes, Sunday at 1, they will kick off against the Boston Celtics. Who, if you had to guess a single series that would go seven games, if you looked at the first round, you would have chosen the Nets and Celtics. You can say otherwise, but I won't believe you. And if you could choose a single game that you did not think would be a sweep, you would choose the Nets and Celtics. And that is the only sweep across the entire eight-series slip. So that was a surprise. Um, I guess recently for the Boston Celtics who appeared to go away unscathed. They did have Jalen Brown. He's questionable with some hammy tightness. Talked about hamstrings before. Uh, this playoff series, despite being only four games for them, he is having some injuries. You think with the way that NBA playoffs go, where they get at least a night between sometimes two and three, that these players have a lot more time and these nagging injuries would be able to go away. So again, Jalen Brown was a guy who played a lot of minutes throughout the regular season. I don't know if that is contributing to why he's having a hard time with his hamstring right now. But this is usually generally the games are you know harder considering the playoffs. 
but it's not as gruesome uh, travel schedule and such as it is normally in the NBA. So I don't know if that's just the nature of people who play harder in the regular season, but Jalen Brown has been dealing with that hamstring tightness, and we are not going to be seeing Chris Middleton in the second round for the Milwaukee Bucks. And then to round out the NBA, we have Miami Heat, who after having a scary game three loss to, or game four loss to the Atlanta Hawks, um, they finished things off without Jimmy Butler or Kyle Lowry. Jimmy Butler just had knee soreness. Um, I think he'll be back and ready to go. He just might have, need, might have needed a game off. Kyle Lowry is now being reported as a hamstring injury, but initially it was a hip injury. And we're going to talk about that because we already talked about the hamstring. So the most like or common muscle injured in a hip strain would be actually your rectus femoris. It's one of the quad muscles. It's the only one that's not a vastus. You have your vastus lateralis on the inside, or on the outside lateral. You have your vastus medialis on the inside, and you have your rectus femoris in the middle. And you can kind of, uh, you can either look at a or flex around leg, but this rectus femoris doesn't have the vastus name because it covers two joints. So it actually attaches up to your hip. <clears throat> and it is the only, your hip girdle, it is the only of the quads that assists in not only leg extension, so it's going to kick your leg, your lower leg out, but it's also going to assist in hip flexion. So it also has two jobs, and uh, it can be uh, stretched a little bit more because it has that two right or two joint coverage. So whether it's now hammy, I guess, but before it was, yep, and that's just another one of those muscles that covers two joints, another interesting thing to talk about. Tyler Kirill sat out of practice with an unrelated illness, not COVID. PJ Tucker sat out of practice with a calf, but he should be good to go again, and then Caleb Martin might have just been sore. They battled pretty hard with the Hawks. As a Heat fan, I watched that one a little bit more than I did the rest, but I think it might just be gearing up and maybe watching Philadelphia because they didn't know who they were going to play until, I guess, last night. Philadelphia had no major injuries. The backup center had uh, an injury, but he wasn't getting very many minutes a game. And he's not who I'm worried about against the Heat. As we talked about, they're two big boys, Joel Embiid and James Harden, can go off at any moment. I am worried about them, and now the emergence of Tyrese Maxey, who's also a defensive threat, will be uh, make, make for a good series. Now, that does wrap up the NBA. I'm going to give some picks real quick, just series-wise. I'm going to call for the Memphis and Timberwolves series. Just to round that out, I'm kind of rooting for the Timberwolves. I like Anthony Edwards a lot. You know, John Morant is his opposite on the other side. Anthony seems a little bit more aloof. But just as athletic, I don't know if you saw John Rance dunk in game five, but you should go look that up if you haven't. You can put about three or four people on posters. But that won't mean anything if Anthony Edwards and the Timberwolves can close this out. So I'm not a huge fan of Carl Anthony Towns. I don't think that he plays up to his potential all the time, but I think he's getting there. So if they can do that, and Anthony Edwards can play his best Patrick Beverly up in their face, they should. I'm going, I don't know that they should, but I'm going to take them to get out of this first round and then lose to the Golden State Warriors pretty quickly. So that's my first second round pick is Golden State in the Western Conference Finals. I'm going to have them playing the Dallas Mavericks. I took a future out on Dallas to the Western Conference, and now that Luke's back and playing up his standards, I really like them. Whether or not they win the series, Luka's going to average 35 and get his. So I think that the Dallas Mavericks can maybe let Luka play offense and everybody else can figure out how to guard Devin Booker and Chris Paul on defense, keep Andre Ayton a little bit under production, and get past them to see the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. In the Eastern Conference, I'm going to take the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the Celtics are raining right now a little bit on what they just did, which it was spectacular. But is this a, defense, a really good defensive team who played a not-so-great offensive team in the first round in the Brooklyn Nets? Or are they a stalwart all-time defensive team playing against two future Hall of Famers in Kyrie and AD? I guess only time will tell. They're going to have another challenge in Giannis and the Bucs. But I really don't see, I, I don't think the, it was an accurate description to call them all-time defense yet. Just because they beat Kyrie and KD, I don't think that that warrants uh, as much praise as maybe they're getting because I think the, the uh, former Kyrie and KD were a little bit overrated. And now moving on to the Heat and Sixers. Again, facing the Bucs in a rematch of the last two years that they've you know, run it back best of three. I'm going to Miami Heat beating the Sixers. I am worried about the Sixers. I think public perception is the Sixers are going to take this home. But I just don't have faith in James Harden and Terry Maxey to play up to their potential the whole time. I think that they only really need one of them to play at a superstar level. But I think Heat will play um, a better team defense than the Raptors did overall, and they'll have more bigger bodies to throw at Joel Embiid. Now they don't have anyone as big as Joel Embiid. I don't know if Bam. I don't think Bam has ever seen Joel Embiid in the playoffs, so that is an intriguing matchup for me to watch. But as far as the overall team, I, don't, I think they can keep the other two. Whoever's getting hot at the right time has low enough value, and Joel Embiid much lower than he was able to do against the Raptors, who are a good defensive team, uh, than they did. And that is going to wrap up our NBA talk for the moment. Now, I did find a Twitter doc. If you are as interested in these injuries as I am, Doc Jeff Flynn went through and created an entire list of injuries for the upcoming NFL draft. And 
I didn't go through all, I'm not going to go through all of them, break them down. There are a lot of common ones like ACL, which I expect to break down pretty soon in another episode. There are a lot of shoulder labrums, another thing that we can spend a while talking about. So I just perused this list and found some uh, interesting and less common things that we might not see as often. So first, quarterback, Matt Corral, Mississippi. He set out of his, or no, he did play in his whole game and suffered high ankle sprain. So we're going to talk about the difference between a high ankle sprain and an ankle sprain. So as we were talking about, the ankle sprain is the anterior talofibular joint. That's the most common sprain. It's a little bit anterior in front of your outside, your lateral medialis or outside ankle bone there. Hold these things together. That's going to be the most common ankle sprain. Now, the most common high ankle sprain is of your syndemosis. That is the region that connects your fibula, which is the outside bone on your lower leg, and your tibia, which is your shin and your inside bone. And that is made up of, the syndemosis is a region. There are a couple of things in the area, such as the anterior, inferior, tibiofibular ligament that connects those. There's a posterior, inferior, tibiofibular ligament right there, the transverse ligament, and an interosseous ligament that actually runs between the two bones, kind of connecting those. So that's going to be more painful usually. Uh, the treatment is mostly the same. You usually get x-rays for high ankle sprain, whereas you don't always if it's a lower ankle sprain. The reason for that is because we want to make sure that ankle stability is there. If that tibia, which is resting on your ankle to make that joint, if that starts to uh, fall off, slip to the other side, that can cause a lot of problems down the road. In fact, even just walking can cause a lot of deformity down the line. So that's something to keep an eye on. And the treatment for that is going to be roughly the same. So you're going to do your ibuprofen, your non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, your NSAIDs. You're going to rest, ice, compress, elevation, device method. You're going to do that. But for this one, you're going to do no way, no way bearing crushes are more indicated than this because we really want to make sure that that gets so back where it is. So if you're wondering about, I know I'm pretty sure Skyler Cook, one of my receivers in high school and good basketball buddies, he had a couple of high ankle sprains that kind of played him throughout his playing days. I think he still kind of feels that when, you know, he plays a game at the park or whatnot. So those are much more serious than the traditional roll your ankle sprain in that anterior tibiofibular, or tibiofibular, yeah, uh, We have quiz today, so my brain is foggy. <laughs> in other quarterback news, another interesting one is quarterback Carson Strong, Nevada. He suffers from what is called osteochondritis descans. There are a couple different things that can cause it. It could be a mineral lack, it could be genetic, but with his case being uh, such a high-level athlete that he is, it's probably going to be more just an overuse thing. So his osteochondritis descans, if you want to look it up, it is a loss of blood to heart of bone, and then that bone becomes soft and breaks off, becomes a little fragment, and then that can flow around into a nearby joint. In this case, it was the end of his femur, which is the big bone in your upper leg, and that got into his knee joint, causing a bunch of damage. So that is a rare thing. It's interesting to see that happen in such a high-level athlete, so young. It is usually in familial lines, where it's more common in some genes. It's more common to see that in, or usually an early sign of osteoarthritis that with early onset. For him, though, his treatment was pretty interesting as well. He had a couple different surgeries that are standard for this, and one of them, they drill a hole into that femur to kind of get that blood supply back where it wasn't before, to prevent this from happening again, and strengthen up the bone that's already there. So that's one of the surgeries. And the other one he had was an osteochondral allograft. So osteo is usually bone. It's a prefix for bone meaning. Chondral, that's going to be cartilage. And then allograft is a graft from a donor. In this case, they took cartilage from a deceased donor and put that on the end of his femur to kind of give that knee joint some more cushion. So this is a common topic that we talk about, that knee joint needing cushion. A lot of wear and tear, a lot of grinding, a lot of weight and explosion happens right there, especially a lot of pressure on that femur. So that osteochondral allograft is taking cartilage from a recently deceased person and putting that in your knee to kind of replace that cushion that has been lost. With our third pick in the injury report draft, running back, Master Teague, Ohio State. Not that his is super interesting, but he had an Achilles tear and he's Master Teague from Ohio State. So I'm from Ohio and a lot of people I know have watched Master Teague throughout the years. He usually takes all the snaps for his time that seems like forever at Ohio State. And then by the end of the year, he's been supplanted by someone else. So I guess this means we're going to have to watch someone else beat up on Rutgers and Bowling Green next year in the first few weeks. But it will not be Master Teague. Hopefully he can get back on the field for pro team and do that again soon. With the fourth pick, we're going to go with Defensive end, David Ojabo out of Michigan, and he's here because he had also had an Achilles tear. Now, that, again, it's not super uncommon to have Achilles tears in athletes, but the way his surgeon did his surgery is called an internal brace. So because 
they gave his Achilles some support and some other tissue to kind of go around it, he can resume his rehab much sooner. Now, I just thought that was interesting because I don't know if you were paying attention to Cam Akers last year, but he was out with a torn Achilles. Should have been season-ending, potentially. He was back in five weeks now. And reading Dr. Jess Flynn's words, she said that is atypical, but this is a newer procedure, and I'm sure it hasn't been tested, tested as much. And it's still the off-season for him, so who knows? Maybe he will be a better prospect than we think and get back as soon as possible. Uh, a lot of people are concerned about that get-off for him being a defensive end. I'm not as worried. I think that this is a cool technique. Uh, they kind of do an X-stitch and a side-stitch to kind of on both sides to support it. And you might want to look it up yourself. It's hard to describe accurately, but very cool, and hopefully that doesn't prevent him from having a successful career. Next, we're going to go with wide receiver, Justin Ross out of Clemson. I only have bad memories of Justin Ross scoring touchdown after touchdown from my now friend Trevor Lawrence against Notre Dame in my garage watching that with my dad. My good friend AJ Carpenter was all over me about that. But his uh, story here is really fascinating. He has triple heel disease, and that is congenital fused vertebrae. Congenital, congenital means born with. And that is important because it is going to be cause for concern for any spinal injury he has. It changes the shape and flexibility of the spine up there, and it was most likely going to be cervical spine in the neck. So, oh no, not cervical. It was lower, sorry, lumbar. So it's going to be lower towards your back. But any damage there could be detrimental and cause a lot of spinal cord compression. Luckily, he did have surgery from the same surgeon as Ryan Chazier, another former Buckeye who's beloved in this area, and a really encouraging story just for anybody who's going through an injury. But no cripple feel disease having player has ever been cleared to play in the NFL. We'll see how his story progresses, but that could mean that we will not hear his name called for a very promising young wide receiver. Another oh, another wide receivers, moving on to offensive tackle, Rondarius Ham out of Auburn. Not really an injury, but he had Hodgkin lymphoma in 2016 and beat that in about a year, so he's been cancer-free since 2017, so no injury there. Maybe we will get into cancer a little bit in later episodes, but just congratulations for him. It is crazy that some of these biggest, healthiest guys, most powerful in the world, can still have these rare and unfriendly diseases. So very cool of him to be able to persevere through that and look where he is now. Moving on, we have defensive end. Jeremiah Moon from Florida. Another interesting thing, he was born pigeon-toed, so his way his femurs, that ball and socket, sat in his hips, was turned out, and because of that, he had to have braces from the time he was born up until, or once they noticed that, so a little bit after the time he was born, up until about five, to correct that, and because of how much pressure and force those braces must have to correct everything, he ended up having a spinal fracture as well. So he had to have pretty much reconstructed braces on, and a spinal fracture, this all happened before five, he's okay now, doesn't attribute any pain or really movement issues to that, but at the time, that is just something that you don't uh, expect a future NFL defensive end to be born with. I'm sure every dad in the world expects their son to be an NFL player when they're born, but I bet that changes quickly when you have pigeon when you're born with that severe pigeon toe. So I know I'm disappointed in my dad in that respect, but good for Jeremiah Moon to be able to get through that, and good for his medical team for being able to correct that so early. Moving on to linebacker, Damone Clark out of LSU. He had the cervical neck problem, so the cervical spines your neck, get a herniated disc requiring a discectomy. You have to go through your past your spinal cord in front of that to get the disc, the spinal disc out of there. And then because there's no bone in there, or there's nothing preventing those vertebrae to fuse together, they will do so. So yeah, fusion as well after they take out the disc. And the issue there is, well, this surgery was successful. He is a linebacker. And again, we talked about that fuse spine and what that can mean. It's going to change your ability to your flexibility. And especially in that neck area as a linebacker, that's a lot of high impact if you're going to be able to stay in that position. So again, this is another injury that I'm not sure, Damone Clark, if it would be safe for him to play in the NFL. But hopefully a team will find a way to get him on the field and he can find a way to do it safely. And our last player in the draft is safety, Derek Stingley, LSU. He had a Liz Frank fracture. And you're going to hear that a lot. He was already drafted. Liz Frank, Liz Frank, Liz Frank. I heard it a billion times yesterday watching the draft coverage. Pretty much what that is is a break of the joint between the metatarsal and tarsal bones in your foot. And that makes up your arch too, which is important for athleticism and quickness. So if you look up a model of the foot, you're going to see the bones that make up the ankle, the talus, and the calcaneus. And then you're going to see a bunch of tiny little bones in front of them that are the tarsals. And then you're going to see the metatarsals, which look almost like toes, but those are going to be the long toes that are still in your foot. So 
that actually is a joint right there. It does provide a little bit of screen lift off. So he did have that injury. The biggest concern was speed, but he ran really well at 40, so he'll be fine. And that wraps up our NFL draft coverage. And now we're going to move on to our final segment of the day, injured and recovered. We'll start off with recovered. And the first thing that recovered was Chris Paul's image. A lot of people were doubting him, and there were concerns that the Suns wouldn't be able to get by the Pelicans without Devin Booker. But despite Devin Booker's return, I think we can all agree that Chris Paul put on an awesome performance with 14 shots going up and 14 shots going in. So congrats to him on another notch in his belts. I still don't think they're going to make it to even out of this next series. I'm not a Chris Paul believer. That was a quite a display by him. Injured. The NBA. The NFL took Christmas Day. They announced they're going to have three games on Christmas Day, which is usually a sacred NBA game. Now, I'm totally okay with this because the NBA got rid of their Christmas jerseys. And what's the point of spending my time watching NBA basketball without Christmas jerseys on Christmas Day? Especially that early in the season. Just kidding. I love watching the NBA on Christmas, but if the NFL is going to be there, that's what I'm going to be watching. And if you don't feel that way, here's my uh, last night, Thursday night. I was watching the NFL draft while there were not one, not two, but three NBA game six playoffs going on. And even though I turned on the end of the Suns and Pelicans because that was pretty close, I didn't pay attention to any of And recovered. Doc Rivers' image. He again, in a similar boat to Chris Paul after losing a second game with the Sixers to the Raptors. There were a lot of concerns about him blowing a 3 to nothing lead in the series, as he has blown three three-month leads as in the first round as a head coach in the NBA. So a lot of people are feeling that he has been a massive choke artist. And other than that one against his one championship with the Celtics, there's even a clip, I guess, of Phil Jackson in the following year, the repeat rematch, where Phil Jackson is saying, Doc Rivers is one of the most four-quarter leads of anybody. We're seeing a lot. Just keep playing, and they're going to fall apart. And that's in the finals. So that level of disrespect coming from one of the greats is not a great love for him, but he was able to skirt by the Raptors and has a chance for what he come up. So have to see another day. Injured is NFL stars' pockets. The Titans yesterday, instead of draft or paying A.J. Brown, decided to send him on his way and just drafted a player younger and with a similar top. So I think that's becoming more and more common. There are lots of teams like the Rams who only get great players, but usually established great players, but usually at a lower price. They have a couple guys they pay a lot for, but everybody else is just kind of uh, get them after they're good. And the rest of the league, though, seems to be going more towards I can draft a running back every four years. I can draft a wide receiver every four years. We're even seeing that with some of these quarterbacks. Daniel Jones can get his option picked up because if you can't get a quarterback this year, you'll get another one next year. It was interesting to see a lot of the fourth-year options not being picked up across the league. And I think it is only because for the few guys who you need to pay, you're going to have to let some of the other guys go who want to be paid. And it's just cheaper to get guys younger. And the way some of these receivers, especially like Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, come in the league and set the world on fire, I think that's going to hurt them in the long run, being able to uh, need to be paid right away. Another recovery is the best draft of the first round are the Rams, Browns, and Broncos. All three didn't draft yesterday, but that's because they already got their quarterbacks and they traded for them. So the Rams got Matt Stafford, already had a Super Bowl. The Browns got Deshaun Watson, not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole, but they should be a better football team for it. And the Broncos got Russell Wilson, who, if uh, they do, that's the same place that Peyton Manning went, so I'm sure that they will do quite all right with him. Another injured is the Bears, Colts, Raiders, Dolphins, and Niners. None of them had their first-round picks. They all either traded back or already didn't have them. And I don't think any of them are significantly better than they would have been. Now, the Bears did trade up for Justin Fields. As a Trevor Lawrence supporter, I have to say that he is better than Justin Fields, and I don't get why they trade all the way up for him. I do, but that's just what I have to say as a Jaguars fan. Uh, the Colts, Matt Ryan, the Raiders, I forget who. The Dolphins just got Tyreek Hill. I don't think that makes them much better to Tua, and I don't remember who the Niners got or traded back for. So between those teams, I don't think any of them are significantly better and missed out on quite a fun draft. Still some good players on the board. Recovered is not really recovery. But for the Tigers, as a Tigers fan, that has been left for a while. Next to see Miguel Cabrera finally close in on 3,000 hits. He's won seven players with 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. I could have had a foul ball from him, uh, but I'll let my dad tell that story on a later date. And finally, injured is Bill Belichick's you know. Uh, he drafted a guard out of Chattanooga, last name Strange, which if you're going to draft someone uh, so random so early, I don't think you should make sure their name is so easily to be made fun of because it was a strange pick. And then later, a video came out of Sean McVay laughing, saying, oh, we watched Bill on him because we thought he'd still be there at the 104th pick, which is their first pick. So. That is a tough look for Bill Belichick. You know, because of Bill Belichick, everybody's going to give a bit of a doubt and say, it was a great pick. I'm a little skeptical. We'll see what happens. And you have a good weekend.